Welcome to Episode 2 of Murder Rewrite. I'm your host, Carol Goodman-Kaufman. On this podcast, I talk with crime writers whose short stories and novels run the gamut from cozies to domestic thrillers. We'll learn from them about their craft, their process, and the business of writing. My guest today is none other than Kate Flora. This Maine native's fascination with people's criminal tendencies began in the Maine Attorney General's office, where she worked as a lawyer. While her nonfiction focuses on aspects of the public safety officer's experience, it was deadbeat dads, people who hurt their kids, and employers' discrimination that aroused her curiosity about human behavior. The author of 24 books and many short stories, Kate's been a finalist for the Edgar, the Agatha, the Anthony, and the Derringer Awards. She won the Public Safety Writers Association Award for nonfiction and twice won the Maine Literary Award for crime fiction. Her most recent novels are Death Sends a Message and A World of Deceit. Kate is a founding member of the New England Crime Bake and the Maine Crime Wave and runs the blog Maine Crime Writers. And now to our guest. Welcome, Kate. I'm so glad you're able to join me today. So let's get right to it. My first question for you is this. Do you remember the first mystery you read? What was it? And what attracted you to it? Well, Carol, I hope this is working because this is a new adventure for me, this little short cast. It seems like so much fun. So I cannot actually tell you what is the first mystery that I ever wrote, ever read, sorry. Uh, I obviously can tell you the first mystery I wrote, Um, but it would have been probably one of the books in the Nancy Drew series, since that was what girls of my era were reading when we were reading mysteries. From there, I would have gone on to the Hardy Boys, and then to probably every other series that I could get my hands on. Uh, And so those were the, you know, I read the Cherry Ames, I read, you know, the, the, the airline stewardesses, the nurses, all the other books that came in series. Uh, and then I moved on at about the age of 11 uh, when I got a, the job every Friday of being the librarian's assistant in the Vos Library in Union, Maine, which was only open on Friday afternoons. And I would be the person who helped the librarian reshelve books and sign out, um, you know, check out patrons. And in return for that, what I got was second access after the librarian herself to uh, three romantic suspense writers that I absolutely adored. Those would have been Mary Stewart, Victoria Holt, and Phyllis Whitney. It's actually kind of surprising when I look back on it now that I didn't end up becoming a uh, romantic suspense writer rather than a traditional mystery writer. But jumping ahead a little bit, even though at that age what I always wanted to be was a writer, my mother was a country living uh, writer and a journalist, and so she modeled for all of us the discipline and the desire, the passionate desire to be a writer. She would get up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning so she could get her writing done before, (coughs) excuse me, her children had to be sent off to school and she had to move on to all the tasks that went into running a farm. Um, And so I wanted to be a writer, but I also grew up in that sort of, you know, um, early, you know, women being empowered to have the jobs that we were told we couldn't have. And I knew that I would have to have a job that would let me make a living. And so after college, when I discovered that being an English major wasn't particularly um, good for getting a, a good job, 
I, I went to law school, and it was in law school that I got developed that and an early law practice in the Maine Attorney General's office that I developed that curiosity about human behavior and what makes people deviate from the social contract, which sort of became the foundation for the um, mysteries that I write, wrote and still write today. Kate, you've answered so many of my questions already. That's terrific. So let's get to your actual writing. First of all, do you write a series or do you write standalones? And secondly, because you say that you were inspired by your work in the Attorney General's office, are your stories ripped from the headlines? Well, Carol, it's an interesting set of questions. Uh, I actually, you know, sort of go back to some advice that my agent gave me years ago in answering this question. Her advice was to pick one corner of the mystery writing genre and stick to it so that I could build a platform. But in fact, uh, I'm the kind of writer who writes the things that come to me that I feel really want to be written. So uh, my main work is uh, two different series, a, uh, my Thea Kozak series, which is a strong woman series, and my Joe Burgess series, which is a Portland, Maine-based police procedural series. I, and I've been working on both of those for several years. I've been working, um, I think my first Thea Kozak mystery came out in... Um, 1994. So uh, I've been writing Thea for many years, during which I've gotten an awful lot older, and Thea hasn't gotten very much older at all. And one of the questions that I'm often asked uh, at library events and so forth is, is Thea me? Um, Thea is a consultant to independent schools. She's about 5'11". She has impossibly long, curly, dark hair. And she's very brave, and those things don't actually fit me. So when I explain that my character is not based on me, people always say, well, then who is your character based on? And I say, uh, she's actually my daughter. I ended up having sons, boys, not girls. And so Thea is the daughter I never had. And an interesting thing for me as a mystery writer is that... Uh, just like a real-life daughter, she goes into situations where I'm sitting there at the keyboard with my fingers, fists clenched, saying, don't go into that dark house, don't confront that person, don't do this, don't do that. And uh, all those don'ts, my character is very pig-headed, and one of the things that we discover when we write um, mysteries is that our characters often have minds of their own and take charge of the um, narrative, even though we think that we're in charge. So that's the Thea Kozak series, uh, and I'm, you know, book 11 is coming out in October. And then I have a Portland, Maine-based police procedural series, my Joe Burgess series, which basically came out of the discovery I made that I have to spend an awful lot of time with, with cops because police are always involved, even if you're writing, as in the Thea series, an amateur sleuth. So I spent a lot of time talking to cops, got really interested in cops, and decided that it would be really interesting to write cops, and discovered, of course, that it's very difficult for, a, for me to write a middle-aged male cop and his experience on the street. So I'd love to talk about that. Do you read another genre? If so, what are your favorites? I'm particularly interested to know if you read nonfiction that you find helps in your research. Interesting question, Carol. Do I read in other genres? Well, I think almost all of us do. One of the things that we say a lot at library events and when we're talking to aspiring writers is that writers are also readers. Uh, and I read a lot of um, 
Well, I read a lot of books about writing, obviously, because I'm always interested in what people have to say and because I also teach writing. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is when you read books about writing and they, you know, they give you advice that as a writer, you have to take that advice uh, with a grain of salt. You have to assess whether or not the advice that you're being given by any particular writer, pundit, uh, person holding forth as an expert is, does it work for you? Does it resonate with you? Is it is it um, advice that actually feels like it would be helpful? And sometimes I've found that I read a book like um, John Gardner's The Art of Fiction, and the first time I read it, I said that if he's right, then I'm not a writer. And I reread it about once every five years, and more and more it speaks to me as I get more comfortable with myself as a writer and as I learned to sort of pick and choose, you know, some of the advice that he's giving. Uh, I read a lot of books about forensics because obviously because I write uh, both true crime and because I write a police procedural series, I'm always really interested in trying to get the crime scenes right. So that's another area. Uh, I'm an ardent gardener, so I read uh, gardening books all the time and I'm always trying to figure out how to make my gardens better. And I also read cookbooks. I read cookbooks for entertainment. I've been known to read cookbooks when I'm sitting at the table having dinner. And over the last few years, at least, one of the things that I find myself doing often is going back and rereading those books, those classics that we read in high school and in college. And, you know, sometimes you revisit a book that you read years ago and it's a completely different book because you're such a different person. Sometimes there'll be a book like James Joyce's Portrait of the Artist, which seemed like a significant book when I read it, you know, 50 years ago and now seems sort of tiresome and trivial, whereas The Dead uh, still seems absolutely brilliant. So, and, and the same is true with Faulkner. Uh, you know, you reread Faulkner and you discover things that you certainly didn't see as a 17-year-old. And that can often be a big surprise. And have you written in other genres? Have I written in other genres, Carol? Now, that's an interesting question. Actually, uh, I think I mentioned earlier that my um, agent had told me that I should build a platform and write in only a single area. And I've always believed that you write the stories that come to you that, you know, that you're passionate about, that you care about, or that really intrigue you. So I went from writing strong amateur female PI in the Thea Kozak series to writing a police procedural series. And the police procedural series led me to a bunch of cops who became my friends, including a guy who was um, then in the Portland Police Department as a lieutenant in charge of the Criminal Investigations Division. And then there was a real world murder that he was supervising the Portland part of. And he kept saying to me, you know, someday I want to write about this, someday I want to write about this. And so eventually I, you know, was convinced that it was an important story and, you know, a very powerful story. And so I suggested to him that we write it together. And he started out saying no, and then he said maybe, and finally he said yes. And that was a couple of year project because it involved commuting to Portland, it involved interviewing people, it involved going through all of the records in the case and so forth, but ended up with a book that was my first uh, true crime called Finding Amy, A True Story of Murder in Maine. 
And then Finding Amy led me to the main game wardens because they were instrumental along with the main state police in solving Amy's murder and helping to find a buried body. And that led me to a bunch of police up in uh, Miramichi, New Brunswick, up in Canada, because the Maine wardens had gone up there to work on their case and help them find a body. And that ended up being my second true crime. And after those two true crimes, um, you know, and that turned out to be, the Canadian case turned out to be a fascinating case to work on because it was a different legal culture and, you know, going into court and watching the procedure uh, and, and getting to, wa- to ride an ATV through the Canadian woods to the spot where the body was ultimately found. All of that was an adventure. And that, in turn, led me to another uh, case where one of the wardens who had worked on both of these those two cases retired from the warden service and wanted to write his memoir and had no idea how to do it. And I got dragged into being the co-writer on his memoir, which involved a lot of driving around on back roads in Maine with a handheld tape recorder while he seemed to find a story around every single bend. And that was a fascinating project as well and ended up with a bunch of new friends, uh, a bunch of dog lore, and became an incredible adventure. So the short answer is definitely yes. But whether fiction or nonfiction, all of your writing seems to center on crime. And I imagine that spending so much time with cops gives you an enormous reservoir of both factual information and ideas for stories, no? Well, I definitely did spend a lot of time with cops, especially during the sort of 12 years that I was working you know, a lot on Burgess and on true crime uh, and, and so forth. And so, you know, I really did for a long time, I feel like I had some understanding of cops' world. And um, one of the most uh, interesting or flattering things that ever happened was that Bruce Coffin, who is not just a terrific crime writer, but a retired police detective himself, said that he thought that I understood cops better than they understood themselves. And, you know, that was a high compliment. And I had spent a lot, I've spent a lot of time, you know, watching and talking and interviewing and going back and asking more questions and riding around in cars at, you know, late at night. I once went on a stakeout where I was the one who spotted the bad guy and that was really exciting and so forth. But, you know, it, it has, it's been really helpful for me in terms of, you know, writing more authentic crime novels. And one of the things that I've said is that my years of experience writing the crime novels uh, sort of positioned me really well to write the first true crime, Finding Amy, because I had the understanding of how to organize material and how to find the drama in the story. Um, and also working in the world of true crime has certainly been incredibly helpful in writing my police procedurals because I know so much more about what they're seeing and what they're thinking and because I can go back to them when I have a question and and I can actually ask. I, I, I tend to um, send emails out, you know, with author needs help in the subject line to my cops to ask them how to do things and you know, there would be there was a situation in a Burgess book where I particularly needed to know when they saw someone going into a convenience store and about to rob it. You know, how would two cops approach that situation? And you know, they talked me through it, and then I turned to my warden, who had dealt with so many you know emotionally fraught situations, 
and I asked him for his help on dealing with the emotional aspects of helping the store clerk who had just been facing down somebody who was willing to come into the store with a gun and use it on him when he was just going through, you know, he was just doing his job. He was just trying to support his family. And so I was able not only to do the sort of technical stuff, but I was able to have them sit down with the clerk and deal with his emotions. And that made it, I think, a much better book in that, um, in that story. Well, all that preparation and research really does shine through in your writing, Kate. I know that one of the most impactful experiences I've ever had was when I had the opportunity to ride along with the Domestic Violence Task Force for some research I was doing. The moment the sergeant handed me my own bulletproof vest, well, first of all, I said, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? But I understood, as I never had before, just how dangerous a cop's job really is. And I can't tell you how many books I've put down because the writers didn't bother to do their homework. And speaking of homework, what is your writing process, Kate? Do you have a set schedule? Do you have a word count goal? Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? Interesting questions, Carol. I, um, my writing process has changed sort of dramatically over the years, but uh, right now I would say that mostly my structure is to set a word count, and right now I'm trying to finish a book by December, so that word count is actually 2,000 words a day, and there are days when I succeed and days when I fail and days when I feel like I'm just piling on description to pad out the word count. Uh, but most of the time, I used to, I also, you know, try to write two to five hours a day. Uh, it's hard, been hard during the summer because we have a lot of company. Uh, but most of the time, I sort of, you know, I put the writing first and put the errands and life and gardening second, though that can sometimes be hard when the garden beckons, and I'm sort of an avid gardener as well. Uh, as for whether or not I'm a plotter or a pantser, uh, I guess that I am some of each. Uh, there are books where when I start out, I know who did it, uh, why they did it, who was killed. Uh, I, need, I know all the sorts of clues that I'm planning to leave at the crime scene and how those clues are going to play out over the course of the book. And then there are other books where I, you know, I sort of sit down at the computer and poise my hands over the keys and type chapter one and wait to see what comes. And that's sort of the process of the book that I'm working on now, which is uh, the eighth book in the Joe Burgess series. I really have no idea why this victim was killed. And it's, you know, so it's as much of a puzzle and surprise to me as it is revealed as it is to Burgess as he discovers things. And the clues and the situation that's that's beginning to sort of play out is really fascinating. And I sort of, you know, stand behind my own self, look over my own shoulder and say, I wonder what on earth she's going to do with that. Um, you know, I've tried outlining, and I have found over the years that when I do outline a book, invariably by the time I get to about chapter two or three, the characters have decided they don't like my outline, and they take over, and they start doing things that I hadn't counted on, uh, which, by the way, is one of the most fascinating aspects of writing generally, is the way that our characters take on lives of their own uh, even though we are the creators, probably on a subconscious level, we're making it happen, but on a conscious level, it can be a real surprise when your character just sort of takes off on her own and goes off and does something you would never have expected her to do. Uh, it's scary at first, all writers will tell you that, and after a while, it, you get comfortable with it, and it's kind of a delight. 
Can you give us a little hint, a little teaser about what the new book is about? Gosh, Carol, it's a real challenge to try and summarize the books, the upcoming books. And actually, because there's more than one, I thought I'd do a quick little teaser, if you will, about the book that's coming in October, which is the 11th book in my Thea Kozak series, where I, as a writer, faced the impossible challenge of trying to have a character who's very forthright, independent, and, you know, always going around helping other people try to solve a mystery while at home with a newborn so she's not able to travel and she's not able to go out and investigate. And I still had to figure out how she was going to solve the mystery. Uh, The book that's coming out in January is uh, called Teach Her a Lesson, and it's about a a high school, a young, attractive, dedicated high school teacher uh, who becomes the object of an obsession by a student who has a crush on her and believes that they should have a relationship. And the question for the book is whether or not uh, he's telling the truth or she's telling the truth as he goes farther and farther off the rails. And she's the only person who believes that he's dangerous. Everybody else thinks he's just a sweet teenage boy. Uh, and then the book that I'm working on right now um, is is the eighth book in the Joe Burgess series, and that involves a very different kind of crime scene from the kind that Burgess is used to. It's a fancy condo in Portland, Maine, where occupied by a doctor, and the and Burgess and his team as they you know investigate. First of all, the medical examiner is struggling to determine the cause of death. All they know is that the man is dead, and that probably someone did it. And he has so many weird things about his house and about his life, about how paranoid he is, about his security system, about his secret rooms, his secret drawers and secrets generally. And so it's going to be Burgess's challenge in this book to sort of get behind that wall of secrets and try and find out who this man really was and why somebody wanted him dead. Oh, gosh, Kate, you got me half intimidated and half inspired to work harder. You are just so darn productive. And I look forward to seeing the books when they do get onto the shelves. In the meantime, I want to thank you so very much for talking with me on this podcast, Murder We Write. Uh, You are a star in the mystery writing world. Thanks so much. Well, I don't know about a star, Carol. I always think of myself as being more of a plotter or at least persistent. In fact, over the years, there have been so many people that I've watched come and go, uh, starting to write, finding that it's hard, finding that dealing with publishing and publishers is discouraging and walking away from it. And I've always said that I'm too stubborn to walk away, which is why after, you know, since 1994, when I first published, I'm still here. Uh, and look forward to, you know, more years ahead, I hope, of writing, though I do occasionally dally with the notion of retirement. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This has been a great process and great questions, and it's always wonderful to get a chance to talk about writing.